Father, we thank you for this morning, and God, we come to just confess you are faithful. God, you are the only God that can say things that are going to happen and then bring them to pass, Father. And we worship you because of that, and it gives us life, Father. We put our trust in you that you are a sure foundation in the midst of things that seem so uncertain. And so, Father, now as we look at your word, I pray that you'd speak to us through Habakkuk, your prophet, and that we would learn from you and place our faith in Christ and in what you're doing in our world in these days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to you guys. You know, I went out on the lake yesterday with some friends up at Flaming Gorge. And I feel kind of like the country song this morning, you know, where he says, I'm as good once as I ever was. But he left off the part where after wakeboarding all day, I'm really sore. <laughs> so I come to you a little sore this morning from hitting the water too many times. But welcome and good morning. And uh, let's say a welcome to all the kids in the room. You know, we had this moment of silence and you guys were amazing. <laughs> so let's do this again. We do this from time to time. You know, it also says shout and make a joyful noise to the Lord. So can all the kids just give me one really good shout to the Lord? Go ahead. Go. Shout. Okay, that that was weak, guys. Come on. It's Labor Day weekend. Nobody's got school or work tomorrow. We can shout a little better than that. Okay. One, two, three. Go. All right. There we go. That's much better. All right. Yeah, so it's good to have the kids in our service. I welcome all you guys here, and part of what we're doing at Risen Life is that we believe kids need to see their parents worship. They need to see their parents engage in faith, and so for this fall season, we are, we're having kids in our service, our one service, and so let's be gracious and kind to parents that have kids. In fact, this is a faith community, and we all have a job to help disciple these kids and raise them up in the Lord, so let's make this time good for parents as they bring kids into the service. And parents, I hope this is a good experience for you, and your kids will grow and learn, and we want to hear from you about how it's going for you. Okay, we're going to continue in our sermon series on Habakkuk this morning, as we have said, and and honestly, again, I just think this is a great book of the Bible for the day we live in, because Habakkuk's asking questions that all of us ask about what is going on in our world, deals with questions that are really tough for us. As Pastor Kevin said, last week we looked at Habakkuk's first question in verses 1 through 4. We said basically, God, why is there so much evil all around me that's going unpunished? Where are you? What are you going to do about this? And God answered, didn't he? He said, well, Habakkuk, I'm doing something you wouldn't even believe if I told you. Right? I'm doing something even in the midst of all of this. I'm doing something, and so we can find hope that God is doing something even in our day when things don't look quite right all around us. But what God was doing is going to be quite a surprise to Habakkuk, right? He said he's raising up the Chaldeans, these Babylonians, this fierce nation that will bring judgment on Israel. And as we know, in 586, the Babylonians would do that. 586 B.C., they'd come in and wipe out Jerusalem completely and carry the Israelites off for 70 years. That probably wasn't the answer that Habakkuk was looking for, right? Not the thought that he had in his mind. So this leads Habakkuk to his second question that we're going to look at this morning. 
So if you want to open your Bibles and look at Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses uh, 1.12 through 2.1 here to start off and hear Habakkuk's second question. So this is what he asks of God now that he knows that this thing is going to happen. He says, God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he, he sacrifices to his nets and makes offerings to his dragnets, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, this is Habakkuk's second question here. And we can say it like this. He's really asking this. There's a lot of prophetic language there, so you might have been like, what is he saying? <laughs> He's saying, how can you, God, this holy God, use an evil nation to judge a nation that is more righteous than that, a nation that's actually your people. How can you judge us with them? This might be like today if you said, God, how can you let a nation like Russia take over the Ukraine? Okay, this is what they're feeling. This is, this is the thoughts going on in their mind. The Babylonians, they're fierce. They're an evil nation. It talks about them as if they are fishermen, that they go in the sea and they hook people and then they bring them up in a net. They're hooking all the nations in this net. They're, they're the great fishermen that are tearing up all the nations. And in fact, if you look at Babylonian pictures, they used to put rings in people's mouths in the lower part of their lip right here. And that's what Habakkuk's talking about. It's like we're fish being caught in a neck, hooked. And then he says there in Habakkuk 1.16, they're so into themselves and what they're doing that they offer sacrifices to their fishnet. Basically, they're saying, our army is so great, we're going to worship our army because we are awesome. It provides us with really good food and riches and all the things of life. And so Habakkuk here is really getting at a question of theodicy. How can a holy God interact with this evil nation? How can he use this evil nation to do something that he's saying is good? And maybe you've asked a similar question. Let's look at how Habakkuk gets at his question here as he asks God. Look at what Habakkuk says about God in verses 112. This is how how he starts. He starts by confessing and saying things he, he knows that is true about God. One, he says, you are the everlasting God, meaning you're the only God you've been before all things. I know you are God. That's what he's confessing. He says, you are my God. I know that, it, that you made a covenant with us, Israel, your people. We're to be your special people. You are our only God. You are my holy God. 
You know, it's one thing to be part of a nation that is known by God, but Habakkuk knows him personally. You are my holy God. He knows that God is with him. And then he calls him holy, verses 113. He says, look it, God, I know that you can't even look at evil, much less use it. So how is this going? He then says, I know also that we shall not die. It refers to the fact that Habakkuk says that he knows that God won't permanently wipe out the nation because he's made promises to the nations. God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17.7 that said, God would raise up descendants from Abraham, and particularly one descendant that would bless the whole earth. That hasn't happened yet, God. I know you're not going to wipe us out. Or 2 Samuel 17, 16, where God promises David, your house and your kingdom shall be mine forever. Your throne is established forever. God, I know you're not going to wipe us out. What is going on? And then he says, you have established them, I know, for judgment and for reproof. And Habakkuk knows this because guess what? Moses said it was going to happen a thousand years earlier. (laughs) In Deuteronomy 28, it talks about that if God says, I'm making this covenant with you, my people, but if you turn your back from me, then I'm going to kick you out of the land and a fierce nation is going to come and abuse you and, and judge you. He knows what God is doing. But he looks at it and goes, but the Babylonians, really? This is how you're going to do it? You couldn't send a nicer nation to judge us? Somebody more righteous? You're using somebody evil to do this in our life? How can you do this, God? And throughout Habakkuk, we see that he gets at the glory of God's sovereignty and how it plays out throughout all of our life. How it interacts with our human actions. Hebrews 16.6 says this, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. As Habakkuk has said, God is bringing discipline to the nation. God's heart is actually to purify this people and to turn their hearts back to him and furthermore set the stage for his coming son who will come in another 500 years. God has completely holy and good intentions what he is doing with his people. And yet at the same time, he can let this pagan nation run off into their sin, deeper and deeper into their rebellion against him, and yet unbeknownst to them, use them to accomplish his good purposes. I want you to see this. It's kind of like when you think about God's sovereignty in us. It's kind of like two railroad tracks. God has his good intentions and the things he's doing, and right on the other track is all the things that we're doing in our own thing, and yet God is the one who's created the whole track. (laughs) These things will go to his good ends. This means our God is really big. (laughs) He's really big, and he's in control of all things. And the whole book of Habakkuk screams of the bigness of God. And if we want to live as Christians in our world today, guess what? We need a really big God who's in control. We need a God that is above and beyond all the things that seem to bug us. Someone who's moving in the background, who's, who has good promises and good purposes that he is working out even when it doesn't seem to be true. 
And if God is really big, then the things in my life get pretty small. This means for us that there is no evil that comes into your life that God can't use to sanctify you and to glorify himself. This whole chapter, as we sung, is about God's glory, right? This is one of the most awesome parts of the gospel, that for God, God uses for the believer all things to work to his benefit. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. It's not that evil becomes good, but that God can subject the free acts of evil men to his good purposes. That's how big our God is. You know, over the years, I've had a couple significantly difficult relationships that have come into my life, friends, some co-workers, and, and you know, they, those are hard times. Maybe you've had a relationship with that where just every day is a battle. It's hard. And yet I watched over a long period of time, years, how God used those relationships in my life to sanctify me, to teach me things about him. We, we have a big God. He, he's doing things you could never imagine, even with the stuff that we hate. <laughs> I think this leads us to another question. Can we question God? Habakkuk's been doing this now for two, two chapters, right? Growing up, I always heard this. Don't question God, right? Don't question God. Who are you to question God? Well, actually, I'm a nobody and I'm beset with sin. Right? That's what Paul says about us. But what we see in the Bible and other places in Habakkuk is that God invites your questions. He's not afraid of your questions. He wants us to come with those that are seeking faith, that we are in a position of faith, seeking understanding. God, just like Habakkuk, I know who you are, I know what, you are, what you've done, what you've promised, but what about this? I don't understand this. And guess what? God will answer. He's already answered Habakkuk once. In fact, we're going to see here again that he's going to answer again. And notice that Habakkuk's posture is, I believe in you, God. I want to see what you're going to say. And that's why he goes out on his watchtower to hear what God will respond to his question. So let me encourage you this morning. No matter what situation you're in this morning, God invites your questions. Don't be afraid to go to him in prayer and say, God, I don't understand this. God, why is this happening? God, I just can't understand why you would let this happen. And he'll answer. It may not be what we like, but he'll answer. In fact, let's look at what God answers to Habakkuk here in verses 2, 2 through 4, chapter 2, 2 through 4. Here's what God says to Habakkuk in response to his question. He says, and the Lord answered me, <laughs> write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Now God is going to go on in the rest of the chapter to talk about the, the uh, Babylonians and how, how awful they are and how they will pay for their pride and the things 
that they have done. And so when we look at this chapter 2, God really says three things to Habakkuk about his question. And the first one is this. I may seem slow, but I'm faithful. I may seem slow, but it's going to happen. Do you realize that by most scholars' estimations that Habakkuk received this oracle 30 to 60 years before God brought the Babylonians against Jerusalem? And in this chapter, he's going to talk about how they're going to get theirs. That would be even another 50 years beyond that till God punished the Babylonians. <laughs> you think Habakkuk wondered, God, what are you doing? When are you going to do what you actually said you were going to do? This is 80 to 120 years of God fulfilling his purposes. This means that Habakkuk was standing on the watchtower a long time. Okay? God is saying, you may think what I have said will not happen, but I will be true to what I've said. You just watch. You write it down so other people will see when it comes to pass, I'm faithful. And waiting on God, this is what drives us crazy in our faith, right? God, I, don't you see this in my life? I want you to fix it now. <laughs> you promised this, God. Where is it? Some of that's our culture speaking. We just want our instant gratification, but some of it is our heart that tends to wander from faith because we don't like to wait. We want to give up on God or think that He isn't doing something. Now, I don't know if some of you noticed, but I have a present up here on my stand. Did any kids notice this present up here? I thought you might. What if I told you this was a the first Christmas present I wrapped for Christmas. Is that pretty exciting? I couldn't find Christmas paper, so I had to wrap it in this girly birthday paper, but it's a Christmas present. I'm just going to set it right there. Who likes to open Christmas presents? Some of you kids out there, I like to open Christmas presents. You know, my kids love to open Christmas presents. Have you ever told your parents... When is Christmas going to come? I just can't wait that long. This is what I get from my, oh, I see good hand back there. Nice. My kids say this all the time. Dad, when is Christmas going to come? I don't think I can make it. <laughs> right? Do you believe your parents will give you good gifts? Have they given you good gifts in the past? Yes. And did Christmas come in the past? It came, didn't it? And you had good gifts, and they came from your parents and maybe some other people that are around. This is much like the faith God wants us to develop, right? He says, look it, I got some really good things for you. I'm going to set them right here. In fact, you can write them down, Habakkuk. They're going to be really, really good, but you're going to have to wait a bit. But when you get to open that present, it's going to be really, really good, right? How many kids in here want me to open this right now? L does, I see your hand over there. I'm going to be really mean and say, I'm not opening it. Right? I'm going to wait till Christmas. That's what God is doing to us in a lot of what we live as our Christian life. He's made us really good promises. We know from his past that they will come to bear, right? Christmas always comes. And we open those presents, we look at mom and dad and say, man, thank you so much. 
And God has given us a lot of promises that will come to bear one day, but he asks us to wait. And it's so, so hard for us as adults. Maybe, maybe you've that child you've been praying diligently for to make some big changes, give their heart to God, but it just doesn't ever seem like they'll change. Maybe you and your spouse are trying to come to a better place in your marriage. And it just seems week after week, nothing changes. Maybe you're trying to find a Christian spouse in Utah of all places. Can I get an amen from our single people? I've done this, and it wasn't me. It was God. It was miraculous. God said, keep fishing in the same pond that's got no fish in it, baby. It's going to be there one eventually. Maybe you're trying to break sin patterns in your life and cry out to God, and it's still there. You sinned in the same way, at the same time, this week, God, what is going on? When are you going to change this? Waiting on God can be so hard. But it doesn't mean that God isn't at work. That's what Habakkuk is reminding us of. It doesn't mean that he won't answer, but he might not answer in the way you thought he would. That God may be using some really difficult circumstances in you to produce the character that he wants exactly in you, to produce the face of Christ in your life. But suddenly and miraculously, God will answer and he will be true to his promises. But often we become faithless while we wait on him. That's why the Bible uses this word, remember. Anybody know what that word means? <laughs> The Bible says it over and over again. Remember. Remember what I've done. Remember what I promise. It's coming. Look at what I've done so you know what I will do. That's part of what we do Sunday by Sunday. Remember what God has done and what he has promised. And then begin to live out our life. 2 Timothy 2.13 has this great promise. It says, if we are faithless, which we are so often of the time, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. God also tells us he's slow because he, he wants us in the world to repent of our sins and turn to him. Listen to what Peter tells us, Second Peter 3, 8 through 9. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. God is saying, I'm slow because I'm forming in you, and I want you to turn to me. I'm forming something in you, a heart of repentance that wants to follow him and seek him. You know, this is really cool because God, God would have preferred that the wicked Israelites would have stopped being wicked without having to send the Babylonians. This is God's heart. God, God would have preferred that the Babylonians would have not been wicked, right, and chased things for their own ends. He would have preferred for them to turn to him and, and repent of their sins. And in fact, Deuteronomy tells us, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that this is God's very heart. In fact, he talks about this when this day of these nations come against the Israelites, this is what he says. He says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curses which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where I have driven you, 
and return to the Lord, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And He will gather you from the nations where He has scattered you. And then verse 6, it says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live. God says when you find yourself in these hard places, part of this is to sanctify you and to turn your heart back towards Him. And when you do that, then God rains down the blessings on your life. And He will form in you a heart that is new and that is beats for Him. You know, God is calling some of you in here for the first time to come and follow Him. You don't know what it means to be a Christian, but you're hearing the gospel that we are sinners and God died for us. And then He offers salvation to us. He will cleanse us and make us new, give us that new heart. And He will give you faith to begin to walk through all of these things that we are talking about. And based on God's promises in his heart towards us, God also tells Habakkuk this. You are to live differently than the world. You are to live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, behold this, that, behold his, that is speaking about Babylon, behold Babylon's soul is puffed up, it is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Don't you see here, God's drawing a contrast between the way the Babylonians Live in the way God's people should live. And for us, really, this is a contrast between the way the the world lives and thinks about things and the way God's people, followers of Jesus, are to think about things. Look at what he says in the rest of the chapter about the Babylonians. He talks about how they're prideful, as we just read. In 2.4, prideful. In 2.5, they are greedy. In 2.6, they steal. In 2.8-10, he kills and plunders and does violence to others. In 2.12, he builds cities upon injustice. In 2.15, he takes advantages of others for his own pleasure. And then look at what he says in 2.18 and 19. He says he is idolatrous. They've been sacrificing to their nets. And he says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, awake, and to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. In other words, it is nothing. This is the way of the world, personified for us in Babylon. This is a life apart from God. That everything is consumed with self. It's all about me. It's all about my pleasure, what I want. And everything that threatens me, it's an enemy, including the people close to me. It's a life that looks at exterior conditions and grasps what can be seen just with my eyes, what I can perceive, and in a short time available to me. Kind of a, kind of a let me eat and drink for tomorrow I die. I'm going to grab everything I can for me right now because that's all there is. It says, there is no God, so I will do as I please to make my life good. 
I'll take advantage of every situation. And then when we find things that help us, we set them up as idols in our own heart. Just what the Babylonians were doing with their war machine. Some of us have made idols of the money we make, of our sexuality, of our politics, (laughs) of our recreation, our families, our work. As soon as it brings some benefit to us, we say, we're all about that. I'm going to serve that. And God says, there is no breath of life in these things at all. They're idols. This is not the way of believers in Jesus. This is not the way of righteousness. He says, the righteous sees what God has done in the past. He hears his promises and his words for the future. And he bets his life on it as a sure foundation. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. In fact, many people have seen this verse as one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Think about that for a second. That the whole Bible could be summarized in this. This is the duty of a Christian, to walk by faith. What God has said and done. What does it mean to live by faith? You thought about that? Hebrews 11.1 tells us this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Again, it's a belief that God is doing something and has done something that when we look at the optics around us in the world, there's something beyond that that that's happening. I often think of like this steadfast ship captain or somebody, maybe you've heard of airplane pilots that fly by instruments at night, right? It it may look crazy out there. There could be a storm raging, and they're they're focused in on their instruments saying, I know where I'm going. I'm holding the course, and I'm going to get there. This is what a life of faith looks like. Instead of grasping at what we can see and being scared by all the things swirling around us, it's connected to something more sure and eternal that outlasts the temporary culture of the day. And some of us here are old enough to see that the culture does change (laughs) in many times during our life. So many of us need to take our eyes off the news and our bank accounts and our politics and put them on God who sits on his throne forever. As Habakkuk is telling us. Do you want the things or do you want the maker of the things? That's what God asks us. And this is how we get faith. You know, recently someone told me we were having a conversation about faith, and they said, you know, I'm really having trouble making a a jump of faith into Christianity. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That when we hear what God has done in the past, as recorded in his word, and God asked Habakkuk to write this down for us, And we hear what's promised about the future. We listen to the Spirit's illumination of these truths in our heart. Then we just agree. Say, God, I agree. I believe what you're telling me. I believe what you said is true. And then I begin to live my life upon those facts. And it becomes an anchor for our soul. Romans 1.17 says this, In the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. 
So in other words, as you look into what Jesus did on the cross, that God's love came down in a person, that, that he died to take the penalty for our sins, right? We don't have the Babylonians coming against us. Jesus took everything the Babylonians were going to do in our lives, that as we look at what God did for us, that it builds faith. And in Jesus, we see God's tangible love for us while we were sinners. And yet, ultimately, the Bible says that faith comes from God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 talks about that, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. God does something in our heart. It's not the result of works so that no one can boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. See, the world looks inside of themselves for truth and confidence. But the believer looks to God and what he has said. And sometimes that's hard for us to believe. But all God asks is that we say, God, I agree with you. I believe in who you are and what you're done. And really, faith has two parts. It's belief and action. I believe something about God, and then I begin to live out my life as if those things are absolutely true. They are the anchors for our soul. In Habakkuk's case, God was revealing to him that what he was going to do about the ongoing evil in Israel. He's going to bring about the Babylonians. He knows that this is not a great thing, but he knows that God has said he is good and that ultimately this will be for Israel's good and for God's glory. So how do we live by faith in our world today? First, we open our hearts to God and say, God, I believe that you're there. I believe you are God. Second, we look at what God has done in the past and promise for the future. Say, okay, God, I believe. Third, in the midst of troubled times, we choose to believe what God has said over what we see. <laughs> and then we cling to Jesus until he moves us or he returns. And this is what we see. In fact, I want to commend to you, go home today and read Hebrews chapter 11. This is the hall of faith that talks about all the saints from Adam to Christ and speaks of us even beyond. This is how all of them lived. They believed something about God. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 says that they believed God existed and that he will ultimately reward those that seek him. And they bet their whole life on that. They walked it out, and many of them, almost all of them, never saw everything that God promised because it was in the future. And yet they walked in faith, believing that he would do something. And then Paul turns to us, or the writer of Hebrews, and says, Let us then, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, let us then run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. In other words, live the life of faith, betting it all on what God has done. <laughs> and one day we will be gathered into the clouds of all the saints who have walked by faith. Now finally, Habakkuk is going to tell us one other thing about the Chaldeans. He says, look it, in this chapter, Babylon will be judged for their sin. They won't get away with this. So you know how I said I was, you said I was holy, Habakkuk? I will show myself to be holy, and I will bring about justice. It will happen. In fact, Habakkuk 2.8, it says this to the Chaldeans, Because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. 
2.17, you will be overwhelmed with the same destruction you have done elsewhere in the world. 2.16, that the fall of Babylon will be the Lord's doing as he brings judgment and wrath upon them for the ways they have acted in pride. He says, the cup in the Lord's hand will come around to you. God will be faithful. The answer to Habakkuk's question, he says, I will be righteous and I will punish the Babylonians. And ultimately, God did that. 539, he took the Babylonians out. Now, all of this comes down to a final thing here. And Benj, you can come on up. We know that Habakkuk believes that God will ultimately work out all things to his good purposes. And in Habakkuk 2.14, he gives us a glimpse of what that is. In fact, this is what that verse says. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, God is doing something here. He has a bigger plan to glorify His Son and Himself and everything that has ever been happening on the earth. Israel will face discipline and judgment, and yet they will come to know God again. Truly, they will turn to Him. Babylonian will, Babylon will face God's judgment, and the whole world, even us today, will look back and go, God was just. He did what He was going to say. And so what God is telling us is that one day His glory will go over all the earth that everyone will know he is Lord of all things, that all things move to his end and his purposes, and one day the whole earth will praise him for who he is. That's why Habakkuk ends this chapter when he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He is so awesome that he's going to move Israel out of their place, stuck in their sin, and he's going to judge these wicked nations. God will show himself to be holy. And he will save his people. As we come to a close this morning, one verse that was on my heart, I think brings these things together, comes from Revelation 19 and 20. He says, look at those whom I love, this is Jesus speaking, I reprove and discipline. So if you're in a squeeze, you're going through a hard time, God is doing something in your life to sanctify you and grow you and get you to follow Him more. He says, To those I love, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. But behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. God's invitation to you, wherever you are in life, is turn to me, follow me, and I will walk with you. What do you need him to what do you need to, him to walk with you in today? He's there. He says, turn to me. As we respond this morning, tell him. Say, God, I don't understand this. I need your help. God, this has been a long time coming. But in the meantime, will you walk with me? I want to follow you. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that teaches us about who you are. God, we confess it is hard to wait on you. But Lord, we also confess that you are holy. And we know that you are accomplishing good things in our life and in our world. Father, help us to stand on your word. 
And Lord, meet us in those hard places and walk with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.